0: Hi, everyone. This is Tony Holbein from GrowBlocks. You are listening to the Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the three signs your sales team might be broken. And we are going to talk about a couple of ways you can actually fix and remedy that. Enjoy. So let's not to that.
1: Um... So what do you think is broken with uh, OpenView? You know what, I I don't think necessarily it's OpenView that's broken.
0: For, for I, everyone who hasn't heard the news, so OpenView has wound down, like at, at recording last week when this is live, maybe it's like yeah. a, two or three weeks ago.
1: So I don't know if they've, what they've Done decided to do with their portfolio and stuff, but they definitely let go of a huge part of their team, which sucks for the team. I think most of them they're gonna land on their feet, so that's that's the good part, but it still sucks. And I don't think necessarily something that's wrong with OpenView without knowing the details. I don't know what's happening inside, you know, all those meeting rooms and all that stuff, but when you look at the market, all the startups took a hit. We talked about Spotify, the 17% they just
0: let go, but a bunch of companies have been doing it. Yeah, but Spotify, they're just getting profitable. I mean, they're just at that stage now. So I think you had a narrative that resonated with me that there were some structural changes in the top of, yeah, um, leadership. of OpenView uh, because they just had the new fund. I mean, they just had almost a billion dollar fund. Yeah. I don't think they're, oops, spend yeah. it all. Yeah. It's also, you know, venture capital doesn't work like this, funds need to be released and so forth. Yeah. But um, I don't think that suddenly, you know, they ran out of cash or something like that. No. I think there was something structurally changing which now is triggering a bunch of this um un- because at the end of the day like an a venture capital firm is is very much um is a partnership yeah actually it's like a law firm yeah and if some of the partner lawyers you know like I ah, don't <laughs> want to do this anymore <laughs> then you know this thing falls apart and I think apparently there was some something to that tune that um probably you know, yes. was was part of it
1: and also they hadn't, you know, they hadn't been making many deals probably because there weren't any great deals to be made as well.
0: Also, oh, who has made many deals? Yeah, last exactly. year? No so one, basically. So
1: I think, um, I think it for, in my head at least it fits that, you know, the market has been hit and by default they've also then been hit and then with the compound of changes and stuff. Yeah.
0: And and since they were so heavy in PLG, it's also not proven <laughs> that PLG doesn't work. You know what? That's my favorite. Shout like out, Leah.
1: Correlation. So that is why. And yeah. then I saw Elena Werner <laughs> do like... Uh, a meme of a it was a goose basically. So you think it's because of PLG?
0: Let me tell you about PLG. Yeah, it's like yes, totally no, works without seeing the visuals, Michael. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so and since since PLG is out the window, we need to talk about sales again. I guess. Yeah,
1: exactly. Let's do that. That's it's the only path forward, really. This PLG fad, it's just it's done. It was yeah. here for a couple of years, and you know now, um, no sales is. Uh, <laughs> like I wrote, it's still a thing you need yeah. to succeed. It's still a thing. And I think what's been interesting, we've had a couple of conversations around, uh, so it's no secret we talked with a ton of companies in the B2B SaaS space specifically, and there's often challenges with sales. They often have problems either it's not working out, they're not getting enough deals or the unit economics or something is just off, right? Right. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna hop into some of the signs that your sales team might be broken
0: yeah and um, and I think sometimes so what what I sometimes kind of give people as a oh what's a what's a symptom what's a symptom that might point to that there's something broken mm. it is that after every quarter that you didn't hit, you basically in one form or another blame the salespeople and what that means and i've seen this so many times and usually those this is kind of the storyline in the board might be different somewhere else so maybe this is really for the the ceo that sits in the board and maybe gives that storyline it's like mm. uh um you know the team is young kind of <laughs> you know they're still ramping or we gave too much discount or they're forecasting terribly or you know s- s- something something like that they they were lazy in effect basically your realm of Pinpointing a problem is confined to the very middle of the bow tie, mm. and it's only the sales folks. And I think you know that that symptom sometimes leads to like, wait a minute. So if you see that happening too many times, so then must be a different story. It can't, yeah. You know, all of those salespeople, they are professionals, and some some are not, by the way. But most of them are professionals, and it can't be that they're just lazy. No. I, I'm sorry, I don't believe that, right? And then diving into um. You know, really, if you if you unfold what's happening in the sales team, we're going to talk about this right now, but usually there also are also thousands of other reasons that are simply outside of the sales team yeah. that are being forgotten. Yeah.
1: No, and I think uh, we're definitely going to get into the whole circle back to the bow tie yep. in a second.
0: The first one. So what you usually have is, and it depends a little bit on your, on your stage as well, right? You might have issues that are festering in the team around Let's just say we call it trust and accountability, basically, right? So one one part of that is trust in the product, trust in you know marketing doing mm-hmm. their stuff, trust in the market coming back, all kinds of you know these things, right? And if you if you get to a point, uh, trust to the CS team. Yeah. Um, if you get to the point where some of that trust is basically lost, what's then happening is um, it's super demotivating, obviously, for the sales team but it basically kind of then turns around into blaming. Yeah. Suddenly it's ah uh, you know you know I don't want to have this quota because you know marketing is not going to deliver anything. Yeah. I can't sell this product because it's kind of shit. Yeah. It doesn't work, right? Let's be honest, it doesn't work. Uh, I don't even want to you know what's the point of closing this customer? The CS team is going to you know drive them out the window anyway. So why why even do it, right? And what what really kind of intrinsically happens is that you kind of push the agency of you being successful away from you. Yeah. Which is uh, really when you kind of look at this psychologically, is a coping mechanism. Mm. It's like your your brain cannot deal with I am not successful. Yeah. That just you know you cannot you cannot go to bed with this every night and survive. So what your brain is going to start doing for you know the right and the wrong reasons is going to be like, you know what? I'm actually great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem are all the other things around me. Yeah. And, you know, one way to um, fix or, or make it worse is actually to give different ways to give um, a sense of control back to the account executive. And this is now very esoteric, and some people might disagree with this, and I'm totally fine with this. But one of the things that we used, I feel, successfully was to uh, make sure that the account executive still has an expectation to prospect him or herself. Mm. So, yes, you can't self-prospect and hit your target. Forget about it. It's not, it's not going to happen. But this can be a way, an outlet for you as a manager or for the brain of that AE to be like, well, I could do a bit more prospecting. Yeah. Um. So this is one thing. And I think another thing is if you do SDR pairing, Yeah. What you want to basically kind of achieve is that SDRs are not just randomly assigned or just assigned by a manager to an AE. Because then again, you have this like, you know, that sucks <laughs> and, yeah. you know, he's new, he doesn't know shit and now he's leaving and, yeah. you know, or he's sick. If you turn this around and let the AEs choose, and obviously uh, by the time we kind of came up with this, we were basically in the US and we kind of developed a draft system but not a football draft system, but the other way around, kind of the best AE could choose um, an SDR first, mm. right? And, you know, once kind of the round was done, there's like, well, sorry, AE, you should be better. You yeah. know, otherwise, yeah, anyway. And what then happened was pretty crazy, actually. First of all, the AE suddenly went for all kinds of SDRs. Mm. So some, some really good AE went for like an SDR that was three weeks in the job. It's like, nope, she's going to fucking nail it. Yeah. She's going to be on my team. Great. But also... They started investing in their development, and if they were sick, it's like, well, you know, I kind of, have made the choice myself. So you basically want to find ways to give accountability or a kind of sense of control to the account executive, right? Yeah. I think another thing that you know in this trust accountability realm sometimes triggers is is salary. So this is like you know that that's gonna that's gonna kill your mood, and I and my tip to everyone out there is. Um, you know, this generation where people didn't talk about their salaries, that was like that ended 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's like everyone who has gray hair uh, was still an honorable salary person mm. that was like, no, sorry, that's off. That's off the list. I that's can't private. tell. You. Yeah, that's private. None, none of your business. Yeah. I mean, in TikTok or age... I'm comfortable. Yeah. In TikTok age, everyone is sharing their salary all the yeah. time. It's in um, the bio description. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it's not like every time, but if no. someone asks you like, oh, well, you make this. And and you need to be aware that that's the, the case. Yeah. So when you have big salary discrepancies in your in your sales team, for example, it might be any other team as well, that, that are like non-obvious for anyone to kind of realize you are setting yourself up for like a problem, right? Yeah. And there's so many ways to suddenly explain a salary difference. The most incendiary one kind of these days, is ah, it's because it's a man and <laughs> I'm a woman. <laughs> I mean, it's a thing. And you wanna have, uh, you don't want the the uh, the mind to go there because no. that's like, I don't wanna work for this fucking company anymore. Yeah, Which t- totally understand that by the way. Um but what's sometimes then not seen is like oh that person has 5 more years of experience and you know all kinds of other things so you want to you want to create ways where um it's extremely obvious if someone finds out yeah. it's kind of obvious why there is a gap or yeah. a difference um that doesn't necessarily go into like the super dark place that i just yeah. mentioned right
1: i mean some of the co- some companies they will have distinct ladders with clear definitions of what's required to get to the next kind of bucket right yeah
0: so I am I I gotta say this and um I I know that the chief HR officer of uh, the company I was at is not listening to the show mm. but I gotta say I really like uh, salary bands and yeah. she was the one convincing me of this uh, makes it extremely easy to have all of those conversations yeah. um it's a, it's an extreme big pain to pull off and you should only do it once you're like I don't know 250 people or something yeah. like this but uh makes all of that pain kind of go away yeah um,
1: anyway So that's the trust and accountability. Mm. That's one of the signs that something is broken. So basically blaming, oh, it's a terrible product or marketing isn't doing anything. Why don't you enter the next one, Michael? The commitment. So um, one of the things we've talked a bit about is uh, quota attainment Mm -hmm. and they're down, right? And I think especially right now, if you put forward a quota that you know there's no chance
0: anyone is going to make that quota, do you think they're gonna be committed? Yeah. No. So that's a good question. And we had Chris all up on the show with like, well, you know, good times, bad times, you yes. just gotta roll with it. I think I think the the answer isn't quite that simple, actually. I think um uh, in some cases it might be, but usually it's not. I think if if you simply do not have enough opportunities to feed anyone, and even if you say like, hey, you need to bring yourself 30-40 percent of your quota by self-prospecting it might not work out, right? So and yeah. in, in this case, quota works like any goal that's out there. If it's unachievable, you will simply not subscribe to it. Yeah. It's like, you.
1: and I think this is a, a big kind of thing that happens ever so often. Some people, they will say yes, but that does not mean they are bought in. That does not mean they are committed. Yeah. Right.
0: If, if someone says, sure boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. good. Sure we'll boss. Sure. Uh, So I mean, then, then you know, you kind of you have you can you can pick up on these things and and basically again, what happens uh, for the salesperson? We're very psychological here today. Yeah, but we also both had like an elective. Yeah, (laughs) so we're basically shrinks. Uh, No, but it's it's you know, if if you don't buy into a goal, the goal loses any point of being there. It's not motivating. It's actually demotivating. Uh, you can also go in the opposite direction if something is too easy. It's also kind of doesn't make sense. It should be in the stretch zone. Yeah. That's where it needs to be. And um, this is where you can get someone committing and pushing for the best, and then you might need to... Then you get the best results. Mm. Um, but I think what is sometimes helpful, and this only works if you have done the math yourself, uh, you can you can math it out with them. Yeah. Uh, so we have done this many times with the reps, uh, mathed it out for them. And um, basically showed them on a piece of paper that, you know, everything else being equal, it should kind of be possible here, yeah. right? Uh, which then also led to, you know, we educated the team, which was kind of good. Uh, but sometimes when it didn't fit us, it's kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, when there was an SDR leaving or two yeah. SDRs were leaving and then they're like, Tony, the I I, I, you know, I, I just did the same math that you did with me and it's not working out so what are we going to do here Yeah. and and there then you need to have this is a management conversation but i
1: actually think that's also a positive thing you want them to tell you the math isn't working out anymore because this happened so i think that also shows a little bit of a commitment still to the goal which and obviously there's a you know money involved in this scenario there's a commission but what
0: what you can do though is uh number one you know push back and say okay this now happened, you know. Shit happens. This is business. What are you going to do about it? I right. mm. kind of push uh, accountability agency back to the person. And then the other thing, and and this is, I think, is a fantastic trick in the mid market and up, and maybe it's only in the mid market. Um, but have the manager of the person distribute opportunities, distribute inbounds, yeah, or distribute round robin SDR bookings, yeah. So what you do with that is basically you can you know be in the session and be like, yep, I know math doesn't work out. You know what, my friend? I'll I'll tilt you a couple of more opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to to try and get you there, and suddenly you create this you create this pact between the two. But also, you know, I'm not leaving you uh, out to dry. And also, hey, I'm creating a path. But for that path to work out, you also need to do a bunch of work. Yeah. Right. Kind of really trying to kind of get those things together. And then ultimately, what once once someone just doesn't doesn't at all buy into you know what you're kind of trying to achieve. It's, it's going to be very difficult to make that make that person, yeah. make that sales sales part of the sales team work out.
1: So, and maybe this is a, a silly question, but
0: how do you actually know that you have their buy-in, their commitment? So this is, I think this is more of a leadership kind of thing. I think, number one, for some reason, sales reps are always smokers. I don't mm. know why. <laughs> it seems like it. Just go out, you know, on a smoke break with them or have, you know, your sales ops guy, you know, be there and kind of hear what they're saying there because... That's where they're probably going to like, ah, that ain't yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, uh, those will be ways you're going to figure this out. Depending on the culture you have, those things will also come up in the one-on-one with the with the VP or the with the manager. And then ultimately, when you're basically, you're getting to the point someone isn't performing and then you push a, a difficult conversation, right? Basically a performance conversation from, from the manager to the person. And then the person is shooting back with like, but you know all of that stuff was impossible to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you kind of hear it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think if I think if your reps are sitting in performance conversations and they are unable to push back on like, well, I couldn't have done this, you know, yeah, you know, I can math it out for you, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I think then you actually um, you don't have a well educated sales team around this. Yeah. Um. So I, I would you know heavily encourage you know teaching people that. It can, you know, when when uh, opportunity supplies on your side, it can basically kind of, uh, you know, solve a lot of motivation problems. When mm-hmm. it's not on your side, you have to come up with a solution anyway, right? Kind of, and that's then one.
1: Yeah, oh, I get that. the um, The third one is also an interesting one. I remember, I can't remember what the book was called. It's also something on leadership and people management, but it was basically a pyramid. And it, I think in the first, you need to trust. And then you actually, with trust, you could have conflict mm-hmm. and you actually wanted to have conflict. You didn't want to have a conflict-free environment, which was, I was just like, whoa, that's, that's kind of interesting. That's yep. the, the third yes. kind of thing we're going to hop into now.
0: And um, this year is really, this talks really into the competitive nature of sales, which is kind of weird. Why, why is sales competitive? What's, what's important here is that think about your sales team and how much do they help each other? And the answer is usually they don't help each other that much. Mm. Um, there's uh, you know you have a lot of lone wolf kind of guys in the sales team which is which is usually a bad sign actually. Um, and what should be happening is that people help each other out. They might do it because they want to become manager and that's a great way to show already leadership and you know uh, basically doing some of the things you would be doing as a manager. The other thing is just to do it because that's the company culture, yeah, um, or that's the culture in the team, or that's what you're fostering. Because again, right, if you help someone close a deal, it's not like that deal could have now belonged to you. Or so. There's no. there's very there's very little competition in that sense. Sure, sometimes you do some false ranking like who gets the better ops and yes, there is some competition you want to nurture that to a degree but you also don't want to have it flop over and suddenly become like a, a super toxic Hunger Games kind of no, environment no. and um, um, and I, I would kind of try and encourage that as much as possible, right? If it yeah. doesn't happen, you probably have a problem and then on the flip side and I think this is, this is where you should be thinking about either splitting a deal or you know, double bubbling, uh, so double incentivizing people is. I had this situation happen to me a couple of times. Like, okay, junior sales rep prospect his own meeting, tiny company, yeah, everything is good. Uh, after two calls, it's like, oops, part of a much bigger company, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly the VP of the much bigger company that is in ownership from, you know, someone else, yeah. you know, shows up. So you have like a rules of engagement kind of issue here, sure. But you also have a, is that junior person really the best one running the deal? Yeah. Um. And for me, this is kind of the the, the line in the sand. Once you want someone that's a, not a manager to jump on a deal and work a deal, then um, then it starts to become or smell like, hey, you, we need to split the deal or we need to kind of yeah. figure something else out, right? And that, for me, is the line in the sand. Everything that's around coaching and so forth is is straightforward. And and the reason why you want to have your folks collaborate to some degree is simply by the sheer amount of information that is being filtered through the sales team, and therefore should also you know should try and disseminate that through the sales team as well, right? Hey, this new feature. How are you pitching it? Hey, you know, was just on a call those competitors are weak in this area. Yeah. Uh, whatever, you know, industry news, hey, you, this is how you can build this into your pitch. Or, hey, this is a great cold pitch that I've been... Whatever it might be, you want those things to be shared across yeah. and not being kind of hoarded and held back and so forth, right?
1: So basically, this is a means to remove some of the potential conflict that people might fear that would hold them from actually taking the necessary steps to
0: bring over a deal, Yeah. right? I think it's... I think it's uh, also just creating that hey, this is this is what normal looks like, yeah, if you have your most successful reps be like always sitting in the corner not working with anyone, that's a problem. you kind of need to find a way out of this, right but ultimately, you know encouraging that collaboration, I think that's good. you know, sign that your team is broken is so you have no one collaborating, everyone is kind of self optimizing yeah, um, and then you simply will not have a good team coming out of this.
1: yeah. I think there's the other side where you do want to have some conflicts.
0: Actually, mm-hmm. that's
1: the, the. Let's maybe hop into that. Uh, that one. I don't know if you have maybe a great example. Otherwise, I can. restart start some and more? I'll. I'll add. So a couple that come to mind is the classic, "Hey, to close this deal, we need to discount," mm-hmm. right? And that can trigger actually a conflict internally because there's, you know, some negotiation happening. The rep has a monetary incentive, bringing them closer to a commission check, right? Yep. And the company wants to have, you know, good metrics in the business at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So what what usually happens on this discounting thing is, sure, the rep directly is impacted by the discount they yeah. give, right? But for them, you know, economically speaking, they get either $1,000 without the discount or they get $800 with a discount. Yeah. For them, it's still $800. So yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and um, the, the thing that you want to create here is you do want to create a bit of friction. I wouldn't call it conflict, but mm. friction um, in the process because what sometimes happens is that the uh, or probably it happens all the time like when the rep is talking to you they're always taking the side of the customer and when they kind of talk to the customer they're taking the side of the company obviously and they're, they're, they're kind of stuck in this weird spot in between right um so as as the customer's making it difficult for the rep saying can't pay that much um you kind of need to make it a little bit difficult for the rep as well to kind of get the discount. And this is not a, you need to click a thousand buttons here in order to get the discount approved. And so it shouldn't be completely automated. Like I want a 30% and boop, yes, you have it approved. I think there should be some pain. And that's basically the idea of creating those discounting hierarchies. Like, well, you know, 20% your manager can do without, you know, anything. 30%, you need to go to the manager of the manager. And that's already, you know... You can do this once, you can do this twice, but at some point your manager is going to say, "Like, I'm not going to walk up to Bob anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get this deal over the line yourself now." Yeah. Um, and um, you know, this is this is a good thing where you want to create a little bit of conflict actually yeah. coming up then. I think the other could be um, the whole
1: support layer for sales. This is super top of mind for a lot of sales reps. Do they get the right enablement from marketing in terms of material, case studies, etc.? Do they get the right composition? Of inbounds mm-hmm. as well, and I think that's where you want to make sure that there's a bit of tension as well, right? Yeah. Um. Because if if marketing is delivering the inbounds and sales is not hitting hitting either, it's because of the composition or it's because of the rep. So there has to be some kind of friction or conflict there as well to f- get to the root
0: of yeah. what's actually happening. So what what we did to to um solve this, we basically created a a, a mini model per rep. Yeah. So what we did was. We looked at all the opportunities that a specific rep got served uh, or kind of received. And then we applied uh, what the class was doing in terms of conversion rate, ACV, and sales cycles. And then we basically kind of compared uh, what the rep, according to the model, should be clo- or should have closed mm. by now yeah. versus what he or she actually did close yeah. by now. And what this is basically then creating is, yes, this rep is hitting 100% quota, well done but he or she did that with way too many opportunities yeah right and and this is then you know you shouldn't kind of suddenly pay a lesser commission check i think that doesn't make sense but you basically kind of need to create a bit of like you know what actually you're not processing and stuff really well we actually need to kind of send this somewhere else Mm. right and then you create competition around the processing metrics like The people converting the best, fastest, and as the highest ACV, they should be getting the most opportunities. Once they're filled up, kind of the next one gets it. And yes, that is creating a little bit of competition, which I think is a good thing. Um, It just shouldn't keel over, basically, right? And what is is super, and we're almost going back to this, um, you know, lack of commitment and trust and stuff. What is super demotivating for everyone else on the team is uh, they close fairly well. But they don't hit target. They have difficult conversation with their managers. They don't get in quota paid out, and then they look into sales. And it's like, well, but he's sitting on a hundred opportunities. Here. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally unreasonable. Um, and then it's like, uh, you know what? Maybe I need to leave this team now. Yeah. Um, and I think this is uh, this is where people just need to kind of have an have an eye on. To make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And then when it does happen, the way you then argue around it is a little bit through competitive means. It's like, yeah. well, you're behind your class in conversion rates. You're behind your class in ACVs. Sorry, I can't keep feeding you when, you know, the other people can make more money for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, and I'm, you know, to a degree, yes, I'm also a business person, so I need to funnel the opportunities where I get the most return.
1: Yeah, and I think that actually also fosters a bit of trust because if that, if he or she then starts performing according to the class, they also know... They it's fat.
0: no it's just very transparent rules yeah yeah right uh because the the opposite is like well why is uh he or she getting all of those opportunities yeah, yeah. is it because you know they go drinking together <laughs> or is it because he's a man yeah, or it's yeah. like wh- what is what is the intransparent reason behind yeah, that yeah. person being favored um if you can make it extremely crystal clear well it's because of the one two and three then then it's also much more uh, operational so to speak for the other side to be yeah. like you know what I'm going to improve 1 2 and 3 and then I should be getting that stuff yeah
1: so these were kind of the soft sides yeah. almost inspired by the five dysfunctions of a you know team yeah we needed to throw in a bonus yes. to kind of you know it gels better with our way of thinking a bit more numbers process driven
0: yeah. right uh, so you mentioned the bow tie so i mentioned the bow tie obviously that has to do with the supply and demand side of the sales team, are they getting enough stuff in order to hit quota? I usually say um, I only serve my reps 80% of the opportunities they need to, uh, versus the 100% they need to hit target. Yeah. And I basically say, like, well, it's not my job to guarantee your OTE. No. It's your job. And you can hit OTE by so on-target earnings, so 100% of your goal. You can hit that by converting better at a higher ACV or faster, mm. or you can just create more opportunities yourself. Yeah. And basically kind of then I'm giving this revenue formula yeah. to the rep and say, like, I get you to 80%, but you need to, you know, to get to the big payday, you need to kind of do some extraordinary stuff on top. Yeah. Right? And then I think the other things that people sometimes miss miss out on or over-index on, it's a little bit unclear to me. So there is a, you know, Goldilocks ratio of what your on-target earnings number should be versus how much money you bring into the company. It's kind of an efficiency metric, right? Yeah. And Best-in-class, they say between four and five times. So if you earn $200,000 a year, best-in-class would be that you bring in a million dollars in AR. Yeah. right? Kind of That's kind of the best-in-class kind of way. And it's usually, it's so this is, you know, I was on a call the other day, it's usually the other way around. It's usually that they'd say, oh, you know, we gave this quota, we gave a million dollars quota to the rep. Because uh, he cost us 200,000, so, yeah. you know, <laughs>
1: That's he, has, how he be. has to bring
0: in a million, yeah, yeah. right? And then you kind of do the reverse math, and it's like, well, how many opportunities for money? And you you kind of figure out, well, the, the one million is probably the wrong, the wrong target to set. On the other day, I was on the reverse call, actually, though, and I basically was like, okay, oh, so, you know, everything looked great in the funnel. Mm. Like, everything was perfect. They're booking meetings like crazy, you know, outbound, could, you know, scale that. And those those opportunities, you know, converted really well, and they were like, but something is broken in our sales, you know, process. We don't we don't get it. So, you know, we're not, we're not getting the returns we want to because for me listening to this is like, guys, you should be like a six kick payback or something like this. This yeah. sounds fantastic what you guys have going. It's like just put in more money yet. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and then you know, uh, and I usually don't do this because usually it's not a problem. But uh, it says so, wait a minute, how many A's you have? How much do they close on on average? Um, and, you know, is this roughly what they're getting per year? So I kind of did the quick math on the call, and I was like, I think they had one and a half to two X of OTE. And I was like, that's that's your problem, guys. That's, that's your problem. And, and you actually need to figure out, do you need to have this amount of people to run all of those opportunities, yeah. or could you have fewer? And then one guy was saying, well, I just opened up, you know, three people's uh, uh, calendars, and they're kind of empty, and, and I also heard now that some of them are jumping on calls, you know, two at a time. So yeah. two reps <laughs> on one opportunity. <laughs> it's like maybe there's some opportunity here to improve. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think there is. Yeah. I think there is. So
1: those were the signs. Sales are broken.
0: So, I mean, this is, you know, wrapping this up, right? Make sure you keep a... Let's just say you keep agency with the rep, right? You need to find ways to kind of reduce, you can say those excuses, but basically what you're trying to achieve is that the rep thinks that they can, and truly so, influence their own destiny. It's really important. And number two, make sure that the targets that you're setting, whether it's quota or goals or whatever, are kind of fair. And if they're tilting into the unfair, because sometimes that happens, find ways to kind of remedy that fact, right? Because otherwise people just, you know, unsubscribe and say, Psh, I don't give a shit about this target anymore. And then, you know, the, the fear of conflict, which is basically kind of a bit of friction, you know people should be helping each other There should be in on some areas a little bit of friction a little bit of competition because that you know in the right balance can be super helpful and healthy for your team and then lastly yes you do need to get the unit economics right you need to do use them in the right way so don't put the cart in front of the horse do it the other way around kind of figure out what is my you know on target earnings ratio yeah and once it's when it's not good don't just go in and change the target but figure out how how they could possibly close more.
1: I mean, it had been such an easy fix if you could just change the target. You You would be surprised how many people are doing
0: (laughs) it. You would be surprised. Okay, thank you, Mikkel. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.